Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Rheumatic and Musculoskeletal Diseases Open Podcast. My name is Javier Rodriguez Carrio and I'm a social media advisor for ARD and RMD Open and assistant professor of immunology at the University of Oviedo, Spain. Today I'm here with Dr. Pavel Lopseco and Professor Laura Coates from the University of Oxford and Oxford University Hospitals National Health System Foundation Trust. They are the leading authors of the paper uh, entitled Gender Equity in Academic Rheumatology, Current Status and Potential for Improvement, a cross-sectional study to inform a EULA task force, which was published in RMD Open in July 2022. Pavel, Laura, welcome to this podcast and thank you very much for sharing the results of your research with our community. I think we can maybe start by introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit on your research interests. Yeah, so my name is Laura Coates. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oxford and I'm a rheumatologist practicing in the NHS and also a researcher. And I'm predominantly a clinical researcher and particularly in the field of psoriatic arthritis. But I obviously am also a woman in academic medicine and over a number of discussions with colleagues at meetings over time, this really came up as a theme of something that we were interested in and and wanted to do a bit more work in this field. And so we set about doing preliminary work and developing the idea for a ULAR task force to look into gender equity in academic rheumatology. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Pavel Seika. I'm a senior research fellow in health policy and management in the Radcliffe Department of Medicine at the University of Oxford. Uh, a large part of my research and policy advocacy focus on gender equity, diversity and inclusion. And given my interest and expertise in this area, I serve on various groups and committees to improve diversity and inclusion in research, such as the UK National Institute for Health Research Race Equality Public Action Group, the European Association of Science Editors, Equality and Diversity Committee, and the Advanced HE Athena Swan Governance Committee. Although I'm a social scientist, not a rheumatologist by background, when uh, Laura invited me to join the group, I was absolutely delighted to do so. Well, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, Pavel, uh, for your response, I've uh, heard that you are a member of the Athena Swan Governance Committee. Would you like to tell us something about this program and its achievements? Yes, of course. Uh, Athena Swan is a framework to support and transform gender equity in higher education and research through the development and implementation of gender equity action plans. Athena Swan was established in the UK in uh, 2005, and it is now used across the globe, including in the Republic of Ireland, Australia, United States, Canada, and India. One of the most striking examples of using Athena Swan and its success in effecting change uh, was the linkage of Athena Swan to the biomedical research funding incentives by the UK National Institute for Health Research in 2011. Uh, our analysis that we published in the BMJ in 2020 showed 
that over the period of five years, the linkage of the NHR funding to Athena Swan Gender Equity Action Plans has been associated with a significant rise in the number of women in mid-level leadership positions in biomedical research and also the proportion of research funding going to women. Uh, these results are extremely encouraging for other funding and agencies uh, linking gender equity action plans to their research uh, funding. For example, the Higher Education Authority in Ireland, uh, which uses Athena Swan, or Horizon Europe in the European Union, which uh, uses different frameworks for gender equity action plans. So our results demonstrate that significant progress on gender equity can be achieved in as little as five years. Wow, it looks like a, a huge accomplishment, to be honest. Uh, so uh, now let's move to the focus of our podcast. Uh, first of all, can you explain how the Gender Equity in Academic Rheumatology Task Force was uh, created within the ULR uh, structure? Yeah, so um, it very much came out of discussions with a number of other women uh, and some men as well at different scientific meetings. And we spoke with women who had struggled a lot of us had stories of our own about uh, struggles that we'd had along the way or people that we knew had struggled more and had not managed to uh, stay in academic rheumatology, had been lost over the time. Um, and we also had some really interesting male perspectives as well. And so we really started thinking about what we could do, whether we could take this forward and do something. And we had a really positive discussion um, with a couple of key ULA members so uh, Law Gossek, who ended up being the methodologist for the task force and, and who's very experienced in the ULAR task force process. And also Ian McInnes, who at that time was president of ULAR and was really keen uh, for ULAR to take this forward, uh, to look at it in more detail and think about how ULAR might be able to support gender equity. So really that came together through discussions with those people and then putting in that kind of formal process to create a task force. And like most ULAR task forces, we wanted to include people from different backgrounds, people from different countries, people at different stages of their career, people who were medics, but also uh, allied health professionals and uh, non-medical scientists uh, working in the musculoskeletal disease space. So we brought together a really interesting panel of people at different stages of their career, uh, both men and women, uh, as well as our methodologist, um, Law Gossek, to support the process. And then we're lucky enough to have at least one face-to-face -face meeting before COVID hit to really get together and sort of brainstorm where we wanted to take the task force, what kind of data we wanted to collect, um, because we were very much aware that this wasn't like a treatment recommendation um, that ULA often develop. We knew that there wasn't much evidence out there specifically in rheumatology and that we probably needed to start by collecting more information about what the gender equity is like in rheumatology uh, and where the, the issues or barriers might be and how people think we might be able to fix that. 
Thanks, Lara. It, it looks really challenging, to, to be honest. Uh, I think that there is a key word, equity, that is central to this paper, to the task force, and to this whole conversation. And maybe we should explain it in more detail for our broad audience. Can you briefly and simply explain the definition of gender equity and which features characterize gender equity in the academic medical world? Uh, of course, with pleasure, Javier. Currently, in the academic medical world, the concept of gender equality is predominantly used, uh, whereby men and women are supposed to have equal opportunity and the same level of support, regardless of uh, possible gender differences in career development, as well as uh, wider uh, societal gender norms and uh, gender biases. When the existing gender differences in the academic medical world and in wider society are not taken into account, equal opportunities alone do not lead to fair outcomes for men and women. Hence, uh, the concept of gender equity acknowledges the existing gender differences and goes a step further. Uh, gender equity means offering uh, varying levels of support in order to achieve greater fairness of outcomes. Therefore, the ambition behind using the concept of gender equity in the context of our task force is to investigate the existing gender differences and advocate support that could achieve fairer outcomes in career development for men and women. I would like just to say why gender equity in rheumatology is important. And there are several uh, reasons. Above all, I think it's about uh, our values as a society and about social progress. Rheumatology as a profession needs to be free from gender bias and to better reflect the society and patients it serves. Second, uh, paying attention to gender differences can improve the quality of science and make clinical research better applicable to the needs of all patients. And uh, thirdly, gender equity is also necessary for the sustainability of the academic workforce. This requires not only recruiting the new generation into academic rheumatology, but also advancing and promoting the current generation uh, who may otherwise leave academic rheumatology. Okay, thanks, uh, Pavel. My, my next question is very related to this. You work in the field of health policy management. So have you seen any peculiar feature in rheumatology as compared to, to other specialties, which are the highlights for, for our medical specialty? Uh, absolutely. Uh, in terms of gender equity, rheumatology is one of the most progressive medical specialties. Rheumatology became a recognized medical specialty only in the middle of the 20th century. The word rheumatologist was coined in 1940s, if I remember correctly, uh, when women just started entering medicine in significant numbers. But already 
there is gender balance among rheumatologists in many countries, and the proportion of female rheumatologists is rapidly expanding. Uh, for example, according to this study conducted by the American College of Rheumatology in 2015, it is anticipated that by 2030, women will make up up to 57% of the United States rheumatology workforce. If the rheumatology profession uh, is to reflect society and patients that it serves, then uh, it is a welcome trend because many rheumatology conditions uh, disproportionately affect women and women represent the majority of patients. Laura, given your clinical uh, uh, observations and then clinical practice, would you like to, to comment on this? Yeah, so I think you're right. Uh, rheumatology traditionally has been a specialty that a lot of women have gone into um, compared to some other specialties like um, surgery and orthopedics. Uh, where women are just generally quite underrepresented. Um, I think we do have a good number of people coming into rheumatology, but it's very obvious really, um, particularly in the academic side of things, that we see a lot less women progressing to the top levels, so to kind of management roles either in hospitals, leading departments uh, or leading hospitals, or in the academic world. So I think if you've been to ULAR congresses, you see an awful lot of women presenting their work, presenting abstracts. Uh, I think we have a, a good representation, particularly at a PhD level. But beyond that, there are a lot less women, I think, who stay in academic medicine, who make that transition to being a principal investigator, to being a professor, uh, to leading departments. And at least in the past, a lot of those roles have predominantly been filled by men. So although we have a lot more women in rheumatology, I think there is still an unmet need in making sure that women are achieving everything they want to achieve in their careers, either in, in hospital or in a more academic post. Okay, thanks, Laura. My next question is related to the methodology. As, as you have said in your previous response, this is not a, a recommendation uh, for, for treatment or, or for management. So uh, you develop an important survey phase to, to this task force. Which are the highlights from the survey circulated across European countries for this task force? Yes, I can start on this. I would like to, to start by acknowledging the support of EULA and also EMUNET uh, for our task force and, and for this survey in particular, because uh, thanks to this support, we were able to conduct a survey across Europe. Uh, we managed to get responses from EULA scientific member societies in 13 countries and from over 300 rheumatologists, health professionals, and non-clinical scientists in academic rheumatology in 24 countries. Overall, we found that there are disproportionately fewer women in academic rheumatology than in clinical rheumatology, and they tended to be underrepresented in senior academic roles. Interestingly, from the analysis of qualitative responses, 
we identified countries where women were overrepresented even in senior academic roles. And respondents believed that in some countries where the status of rheumatology is lower compared to other specialties, men tended to choose academic careers in more prestigious specialties. Uh, we also found gender differences in the levels of perceived gender discrimination and sexual harassment. Women significantly more frequently than men uh, reported having experienced gender discrimination in their professional careers. Women also reported lower levels of gender equity in their academic and clinical organizations than men. Organizational culture seemed to make it harder for women to advance their careers, and women continue to face gender discrimination and sexual harassment in their professional careers. Uh, on the positive side, the levels of perceived gender discrimination and sexual harassment were lower in the last five years than over five years ago. When we looked at working hours of men and women in purely clinical roles, we did not find any significant gender differences. Men and women on average worked uh, 44, 45 hours uh, a week. In countries uh, such as the UK, Italy and France, for which we had a significant number of responses to conduct country-based analysis, we found that both men and women in academic roles worked longer hours uh, than their counterparts in purely clinical roles. Uh, also, there were gender differences in academic rheumatology and these important gender differences. On average, men in academic rheumatology tended to work five hours longer a week than women. What is interesting, uh, and, and I believe uh, it, it's uh, unacceptable. Some men and women reported working up to 80 hours a week. Uh, at the same time, we detected uh, no gender differences in leadership aspirations, self-efficacy in career advancement and work-life integration, uh, as well as the share of time that they spent on research as opposed to clinical work and teaching and also administrative duties. These are very important findings because they show that women and men equally aspire to become leaders in rheumatology, but institutional culture makes it harder for women than men to realize their leadership aspirations. Okay, thanks, uh, Pavel. After the survey, the task force evaluated implementations to promote uh, career development and how these differ between genders. Which interventions were rated as priority for implementation of gender equity? So I think we had quite a wide variety of ideas and potential interventions that we put out in the survey. We also asked people completing the survey if they had additional ideas. And we saw, for the most part, very strong support for nearly all the different ideas, with some differences seen between men and women. So uh, ranked slightly higher by the women and compared to the men, 
was an increased visibility of um, female role models. So having people, um, for example, as invited speakers in meetings or leading task forces, the idea of supporting gender balance in ULAR committees and working groups and task forces uh, and promoting uh, research in the area and supporting gender balance in um, rheumatology journals and with uh, research funding. But there was really a, a wide variety of interventions that we discussed and ranked and really to think about different ways that ULA might be able to support these things in the future to work around ULA policies to support gender equity uh, and to work with country level uh, groups as well around advocacy and communication around the Congress itself. So having uh, family and child-friendly policies, monitoring gender equity of invited speakers and ensuring that we show diversity uh, at the ULAR Congress. Um, specific training courses, this is something that came through quite positively. I think particularly from our EMUNET members to think about training uh, in what we would call soft skills. So obviously ULAR does a lot of training courses that are predominantly more scientific or rheumatology focused, but thinking about leadership skills training or uh, work-life balance, uh, grant writing, masterclasses in, in designing studies and speaking and presentation. So they were very popular both with men and women uh, and ensuring that we really boost the, the mentoring and peer support that we already have. So ULA has a great peer support network, EMUNET does a lot in terms of mentoring, uh, but building on that uh, to allow uh, further support, particularly for our junior kind of mid-level career researchers. Oh, thanks, Laura. I cannot agree more with the role of uh, EMUNET in this scenario. Uh, one of the accomplishments of this task force is that it has raised awareness about gender equity. So what are the next steps within the remit, within the scenario of EULA? So this task force has kind of finished uh, and has been closed at present. But within ULA, there's a lot of work been done um, within the executive committee and, and higher levels at ULA to think about how this can be implemented in different policies in ULA uh, as ULA evolves and changes moving forward as well. Some of these things have already been brought in or were already planned to be brought in at the time we ran the task force. So. Uh, there was meant to be, for example, a crash uh, at the ULA annual meeting in 2020, which obviously never happened because we were all at home. But there were uh, ideas coming through already before the task force met. And then I think the other thing that we've done moving forward is uh, gender equity has become a really important discussion globally. There is already a group, the uh, Women in Rheumatology group in America, uh, who've done a lot of work around advocacy and support. Uh, and we've been working with ILA and with other rheumatology groups uh, across the world to try and set up a global group. Uh, and that's called the Coalition for Health and Gender Equity in Rheumatology, or the Change Group. And we're now trying to work with a number of different organisations. So AFLA, APLA, PANLA, um, all of the different leagues against rheumatism in different parts of the world to collect data very similar to the work that we did in the ULAR task force, but to look internationally at where the differences may be, at whether the same sorts of interventions and ideas are, are feasible and are popular to try and bring this forward to global level as well. 
Okay, thanks, uh, Laura. You have involved uh, leaders of national societies in your surveys. Do you have plans to involve them in, as well as in a future implementation phase? Which are your expectations for the task force to promote change in your academic uh, field? Yeah, so we really wanted to acknowledge the fact that, you know, ULAR is an organization itself, but it's also really an umbrella organization for so many different national rheumatology societies. And it was very clear when we reached out to the leaders of those groups that a lot of this data is, is not easily available and a lot of people are not thinking about this. But uh, I think a lot of people saw the value in that. So it is something that we are working with different country level groups and actually in a lot of different countries there have been individual groups set up or that existed before the ULAR task force and were already doing great work. So there's a lot of effort to think about gender equity, appropriate support for trainees, thinking about the national society meetings in terms of gender balance and invited speakers. And I think that's very important and allows a bit more kind of personalization at the country level. It's hard to have interventions or ideas that necessarily work exactly the same across so many different countries and different healthcare settings. So working at a national level allows countries to kind of personalize that a bit more, depending on what their issues or barriers are perceived to be locally. Thanks, Laura. It's becoming more and more common that academic institutions say they own departments for diversity, equity and inclusion, as Babel has suggested. Uh, do you think that the results of this task force are applicable beyond rheumatology and maybe to other groups? What would be your advice for the medical specialties and, and fields? Absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, there is a growing recognition of the importance of gender equity, diversity, and inclusion in many academic institutions across Europe and also across the world. Uh, several governments and research funders also encourage academic institutions to investigate and address gender equity through action plans. Uh, for example, Horizon Europe uh, in the European Union our results actually indicate a certain degree of variation between countries. And previous research also indicates that the importance of national, professional and institutional context. So our results may not be directly transferable to other settings beyond rheumatology. However, our approach and methods could be usefully adapted to other contexts. Uh, in particular, what worked really well for our task force was having support of ULAR to collect and analyze data on academic rheumatology in Europe. And then on the basis of these uh, data, appraise the utility of various potential interventions and then discuss their feasibility. So we believe that our data-driven approach supported by a major professional society can be usefully applied in other settings and uh, also specialties as, as you have here mentioned. And also our results uh, could encourage other professional societies lend their support to similar initiatives 
and uh, we are particularly pleased that the International League of Associations for Rheumatology is already doing this through the Coalition for Health and Gender Equity in Rheumatology that uh, Laura has already mentioned. Okay, so we're coming to the end of uh, our podcast. Uh, so Dr. Seiko, uh, Professor Coates, uh, Pavel, Laura, thanks a lot for your time and contributing to this podcast series, providing further insights on this amazing topic. Uh, I'm really thankful for your collaboration. Thank you all for joining us in this RMD Open podcast. And if you would like to read the full paper, please visit the website rmdopen.bmg.com and stay tuned for upcoming podcasts by our team. Thank you very much. <laughs>